So Money Episode 1194, Melissa Houston, CPA and business finance coach and host of the Think Like a CFO podcast. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. The reason why I share this story is because I want people to understand that your mistakes don't define you. And I think that's a really important message to get out there as well. Because, you know, like, I'm a CPA and I made a huge mistake, but I didn't let it define me. I've moved past it. I dealt with it and I moved past it. Welcome to So Money, everybody. Thanks for joining. We're going to have one of those candid conversations today about a woman who hid her financial struggles. Melissa Houston is a certified professional accountant and business finance coach with over 20 years of experience. She coaches entrepreneurs to become confident with managing the cash in their business so that they can make their business more profitable. However, years ago, she developed a spending problem. She blew through $100,000 in credit in one year. It was an emotional road to recovery. She kept it from her husband. And of course, as she dug deeper into the issue, she realized it had not a whole lot to do with money, right? There was something amiss, but it was an important realization. It helped her realize what she actually wanted to do with her life, which was to launch her business. Today, she teaches her signature five-step cash-confident framework to business owners all over the world. She's a regular contributor with Forbes, an entrepreneur, and she is also the host of a podcast, a great podcast called Think Like a CFO. Here's Melissa Houston. Melissa Houston, welcome to So Money. How are you? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, absolutely. Returning the favor, uh, you had me on your podcast, Think Like a CFO. And over the last several months, I've gotten to know you and your work intimately. You're in my program. I paced a podcast mastermind. And I'm just so impressed with everything that you're doing at this intersection of female entrepreneurship, personal finance, business finance. And I want to get into all the ways that you're helping people. And you know, if someone were to just sort of read your title and your quick bio, they would assume that this conversation we're about to have is going to mostly be about you know how women entrepreneurs and uh, women creators can be more mindful about their money. And yet, um, this is going to be a lot more than that. Uh, we're going to talk about everything from shopping addiction to financial infidelity, shame around money, all of it as you've experienced it, you. And yeah. so before we get into the great work that you're doing, and there's so many facets to your work, you've got the Forbes column, the podcast, you're extremely prolific. Let's talk about you know, the ugly. (laughs) Yeah. And there was definitely some ugly Um, going on in my life a few years ago. (laughs) And just a few years ago. So a lot of us, you know, we come to our careers previously having made mistakes, but you admittedly made some wrong turns in the middle of your professional life as someone who's already wearing the hat of expert. And so take us back to the days, the months, the long years where you were overspending 
And what was going on through your mind? Take us to like a typical day where you were shopping on the weekends with your girlfriends and you said it started with like buying, you know, a purse here and a watch there. And then it just, uh, then it was a pool. Um, so tell us about that <laughs> moment in your life. Yeah, <laughs> wasn't quite the jump that quickly. But yeah, I mean, I spent, you know, I, I noticed that, you know, when I started going out with my friends on weekends, you know, being a mom, getting that freedom away from, you know, the responsibilities and stuff, I would spend like, you know, a couple thousand dollars. I wouldn't think anything of it on a shopping trip because I mean, those happened like on the rare occasion, on the rare occasion. But then it started becoming a habit, like sort of a pattern where I was noticing that I was spending far more money than I was bringing in. And I knew better. Okay. So I'm a CPA. I teach this for a living. I I have been studying personal and business finance for over 20 years. So I knew that I was overspending. I didn't have the money. I was dipping into credit. And the reason I was doing it, and at, and this is at the time, okay, I really felt mm-hmm. like, oh, I've worked so hard in my life. You know, I've got the great career. I'm making a great salary. I deserve to have everything. And you know how we always want everything at once, you know, that instant gratification. I started falling into that trap and I would buy things like, you know, clothing, purses, whatever. And, you know, a lot of it was an online shopping addiction. So they'd come to the door a couple of days later and I'd be like all excited. And then it's like, it wore off very quickly. So then I started, you know, upping the ante, if you will. And I started, you know, looking at Pinterest sites. And and then I'm like, oh, I need to start renovating my house because that's going to make me feel good because I knew something was going on. But I couldn't figure out why I wasn't feeling good. Because if I looked at my life, I had a good job. I have a great husband. My two kids are wonderful. There's nothing to complain about. Like I, I, everything on the surface appeared to be going really well. So I'm like, what is my problem? So I just kept spending and I was getting into this addiction. I don't think I really noticed the addiction so much at, as it was happening. Yeah, what were but what you I do in the moment? Like were, what, were the, what were the voices in your head telling you as you were charging it up? Yeah, it was very much like I shouldn't be doing this. And then I'm like, oh, but it feels so good. Hmm. Like, I, you know, that's the only way I could explain it, right? And really, and then, Lauren, you weren't telling your husband about any of this. This is the other layer to yeah, this, which is really, really yeah. So yeah. What, you, it felt really good. And yet you didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to tell him how much debt I was racking up. And when it came time, for, for whatever reason, I decided that a swimming pool would be the best thing to do. And I remember I had to convince him and I hid $40,000 of debt that I had already accumulated from him while he was making the decision to, you know, agree to the swimming pool. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, I kind of conned him into it too. And I say that that shamefully, it probably sounds a little flippant when I say it now, but you know, I am definitely ashamed of that. So he finally conned him into it. What does that mean? I put a lot of pressure on him to say yes. I convinced him that this is the exact thing that was missing from our family life, right? Think about all the parties and the gatherings. The parties and, and the go on vacations. You've got the pool, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 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 All the stuff, right? And I remember once the pool was installed, like the very minute where, you know, the pool's getting filled up with water and I was standing there and I was thinking, you know, oh, this is going to be the great moment. And I looked at it and I thought, no. No, I don't feel any different. And that's when I knew, oh my God, what have I done? Right? Mm -hmm. So 
and I'm still hiding, you know, a lot of the debt for my husband and, you know, parcels are still coming in too. Right. And my husband kept questioning that he's like, what is going on here? Like we've got Amazon deliveries. You're spending money like crazy and take it back a notch. When my husband and I first met and we decided to get married and stuff, we made all our financial plans together. Okay. So we were always on the same financial page. We knew what our goals were. We were working towards them. And it was like this year where I was just like, I don't know what happened, but I veered completely off path and I felt completely justified in doing it. And I remember when the cards came crashing down, um, like I had run out of credit and I had nothing to, to pay things with. So we had to, um, you know, kind of readjust our finances. And I didn't even have the courage to tell him what I'd done. Uh, we were at the bank and our financial advisor had to tell him. Oh, what did yeah, he say? That was not good. I'll never forget the look that he gave me. He was so disappointed. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's ever looked at me like that ever in our marriage. And at that moment, I knew, oh, this has got to stop. Like, I have deceived him. You know, and, and his reaction wasn't anger initially. I think it was shock. And, and I felt horrible, but it didn't repair the damage. And he's like, but you know better. Like, why did you do this? And I'm like, I know. I don't know why I did this. Like, I, I was cognizant of the fact that I was doing it. But there was something in me that just kept going, kept going, kept going. So then Can I I'm ask like, you a question? Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you the question? Uh, I I don't want to stop you because everything is so riveting. Um, But, you know, a little bit more about you. You're the breadwinner in your marriage, have been. And in that time, I think you were as well. Yes. And I did a total. Well, I just wonder, that's a lot of pressure, right? I'm in this role and I've written about it. And although I've, I've really risen to the occasion, I think, in my life as this as this breadwinner in our marriage, our household, I really enjoy it. I do wonder if there is something about, you know, you were looking for a way to kind of like go a little crazy because it's, <laughs> bear with me here, because yeah. there's everything is so much pressure on top of the fact that you are the breadwinner, you were also mom, you were a head of household. It's just a lot of compounding stress. And I wonder if, if it wasn't like, so this is an addiction clearly. And, and I think if it wasn't the shopping for somebody else, it may have been some other sort of self-sabotage, frankly, you know, and I wonder not to, you know, not to say that being the breadwinner is a bad thing, but I do wonder like, what kind of pressures were you under that led to this implosion essentially? That's a really, really good question. So what happened was I started sort of re like examining my life saying, okay, what happened here? Like, where did I go wrong? Cause you know, I knew better and I still did this. And I thought at first, maybe it was because I'd put on a bit of weight, right? Like, you know, I, I've had two kids, life has gotten in the way. I've put on the pounds over the years. I'm not happy. So I was on this journey of self-discovery and it took me about a year to really, you know, unpeel all the layers and, you know, get down to the bottom of it. And I had started working with a coach, a a health and fitness coach. And I thought it was going to be like some sort of health program that I was going to fail miserably at. Right. But I never done coaching. And so 
as I started doing coaching, I realized this is going to be completely different. And as we unpeeled the layers, you know, looking at, you know, my health and, and, um, you know, my weight issues and stuff and kept peeling and peeling. The real core of the reason I found was that I had always wanted to become an entrepreneur, but I never allowed myself to do that. And it's interesting that you ask me that question about, you know, being the the breadwinner and the pressure on me and stuff. And maybe that's part of why I resisted becoming a, uh, well, I'm certain it was probably a big reason why I resisted becoming an entrepreneur was because in, in my life, all I've heard is how risky that is. Oh, mm-hmm. well, you know, you, you can't leave a comfortable job and take all that risk. Why would you walk away from this golden ticket that you have, right? Because where I live and, and what I do um, or what I was doing at the time, it, it, it really is the golden ticket because you've got a defined pension plan. You've got stability, not a lot of overtime. Like it was a great job. And it was that pressure of, well, I'm not doing something that really, really satisfies me. I'm not enjoying my life to the fullest. And that's what I found as I peeled those layers back. Hmm. I have to think your husband must be like such a saint. <laughs> yeah, I can agree. He really is. I mean, in that moment, uh, were you worried about divorce or, you know, like this is money is often a reason why couples split up disagreements and financial infidelity, as you describe it. Um, that's also survey show a huge you know, relationship breaker, deal breaker. What was um, the what were the days and weeks after that initial realization that you were overspending and he was that you were together six figures in debt? Yeah. And he definitely was angry with me. There's no denying that. And um But, you know, we've always had such a very open relationship that um, it's really solid. Like I can't, you know, when you've got something so good that you can't really describe it. Like that's how I feel about my husband. And like we're always in sync, like not to say that we never fight or anything like that. So I didn't really think that divorce would be on the table. But and I knew like not a but, but I knew that in that moment at the bank, I was never going to do this to him again. Mm-hmm. And I certainly wouldn't want him to do this to me, right? What was the financial but, advisor's advice? Or what it was <laughs> like, he's in the middle of this or she, I don't know who is this person, but <laughs> she kind of was like, what the hell's going on here? It all, I guess. <laughs> it's like, you know, going in the doctor's office uh, with, you know, your, your secret health issue. They're like, I've seen it all. <laughs> That's yeah, she, she was very uncomfortable and she didn't really say much. And to be honest with you, I don't even remember a whole lot about her being there. I just remember him and his reaction, you know, so he was like very, very disappointed. And and there was certainly a lack of trust. I'm not going to lie about that. Like, you know, we don't have the perfect marriage. I'll never say that we do, but we've got a really solid bond. But he definitely watched me like a hawk with my spending for a mm-hmm. while. And probably still does because he's like, well, I'm glad to see there's no boxes coming to the door today, you know, and stuff like that. Or if a box occasionally does come at this point, he'll, he's all over it. He's like, what's, what's in there? Why did you buy it? Kind of thing. PTSD. PTSD. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's so great that we can laugh about this. Well, the work wasn't done yet. Uh, You obviously had to get out of that debt. So uh, last question on this, and then we want to talk about all the the help you're now providing women entrepreneurs. But um, 
How did you get yourself out of that credit card debt? I followed the tips that I usually, you know, read about and hear about and talk about as well. You know, like I, I basically hammered down, started, you know, first of all, the credit cards got cut up. Actually, my husband was responsible for that. One of the first things he did was took the credit cards away. So it was a cash only for me. Right. Mm-hmm. I had an allotted amount of cash that I was allowed to spend. And with no credit cards, you cannot order a whole lot online. And then what I did was I started selling things that I really didn't need just to get that cash infusion going. And, you know, it's not really about, you know, saving $20 here or, you know, $50 there or whatever. Right. It was just basically I was more concerned about changing my habits, like to make sure mm-hmm. that when I stopped spending that I wouldn't go through like some sort of withdrawal or not really get to the core of the issue. So that's why I really spent that year exploring emotionally what was going on with me because I knew as a professional finance person that this really wasn't about money. Like it was definitely deeper than this. And quite often I equate the way people have a relationship with their money in a similar manner as to how we have how we have it with diet and exercise. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's there's emotional spending, overspending, emotional eating, you know, those kind of things. Yes. Financial disorders, eating disorders. So did the business that you run today, was that essentially birthed out of this experience? Because you identified this void of pursuing entrepreneurship as perhaps a driving force uh, to kind of go off the rails. So when did you start to identify that and really work towards that? Okay, so I knew back, oh my gosh, I think maybe 2005 that I wanted to start a business. And I was working in a public accounting firm. And what I had noticed on a regular basis is entrepreneurs were coming in the door, getting their tax returns done. And like we would take their books, do their, you know, make sure their books were okay, do their tax returns. And then we'd have this sit down meeting with them at the end where we're like, okay, this is what we've observed in your business. Um, It would be a really good idea if you, you know, just did this or made some changes there or whatever. And the thing I noticed is like 99% of them would look like they had no idea what we were talking about. And I'm like, this is really, really a shame because I knew we were giving them extremely valuable information. But I also knew that the minute they walked out that office door, that they would forget about everything we just talked about. So I knew that this was a desperate need for entrepreneurs, but I didn't have the courage to say, this is what I want to do at that time. So I fed this feeling for years, like over a decade before I finally had the courage to pursue this dream. Yeah. I always had that deep passion that that's what I wanted to do was help entrepreneurs understand the finances in their business so that they could save money and make their business way more profitable. They could use that information that your accountant is telling you mm. in on a day-to-day basis rather than, you know, having to meet your with your accountant, you know, whatever it is, like quarterly, annually, however you choose to meet with them. But I often wondered, well, what do you do during, you know, the days where you're making financial decisions, but you don't know if you're making profitable decisions or not? So this is why, I decided to go into business for myself and and pursue my passion. Why do you think so many entrepreneurs struggle with personal finances and also the business finances? Like, you know, you wouldn't you just think that somebody that is so uh, 
good at making business decisions regarding, you know, starting a business, running a business would also find the finances achievable, like doing the finances achievable. Like I have interviewed by this point, so many entrepreneurs who've admitted I'm good at making money, not good at managing the money. And I think that that's really short selling yourself. Absolutely. But I think the large problem is we learn how to make the money. It's part of our survival skills. We need to have that money coming in, but nobody talks about how they're managing it. And it's, it's, it equates with the personal finances, right? I mean, we're an indebted well, globally, like definitely North America, we're all indebted. Consumerism is all time high. Debt levels, personal debt levels, household debt levels, everything's at a high. And it's a reflection on a lack of financial literacy skills. And these are the skills that are not taught in the school systems. And when entrepreneurs are, you know, going into their own business, they're doing what they're passionate about. And they're, they're offering their services that they're passionate about, but they've never been taught how to manage their business finances. And they don't, they also don't understand if they did manage them, how much money they could save Mm -hmm. and, and make additional money you can make. Because when you know what's going on in your business and you understand your numbers, you know where your money leaks are and you know what your most profitable offers are. I mean, I've met so many entrepreneurs that don't even know how much they've made in a year, let alone if they're profitable. And that's kind of scary. So you have this CFO money method framework that you're famous for. And I want you to, without giving us all of the goodies, because I want everyone to go and look up more of your work and send you some uh, some fans. But um, can you give a little bit of behind the scenes of this, or at least the first step to get everybody going with this framework and, and you know, maybe making some breakthroughs even as they, <laughs> in this 30 minutes? Absolutely. I mean, one of the first steps is understanding your financial reports because what's going on um, when you have your bookkeeping system in place, that's giving you the financial information. That's the data that you need. So you need yeah. that entered into your system accurately, right? You need to invest in a good bookkeeper or be a good bookkeeper. And so let me then, tell you, I'm gonna, I'll be the first to admit that this always sounded so fancy and high tech to me or like, oh, this is for the entrepreneurs that have many employees or, you know, these are for not me because I'm just, you know, I just, I'm just me and I run my own little shop, but it is, it sounds more sophisticated than it is. And it's very easy. I have, I use QuickBooks. I have uh, Patty who helps me, you know, reconcile everything um, every month. At this point, she knows for like how to categorize things. I go in there. And if you have an hour a month, a quarter to go in there and just play around and it takes time, you know, over time, you get to know what it goes on a profit, you know, uh, sorry, a profit and loss uh, report. You know what goes on a balance sheet. You start to know what a ledger is. Like I didn't know a lot of these things when I started my business, but it's just dilly dallying around QuickBooks. You kind of figure it out and you get the lingo and you start to have a much better grip on where, where your money is and how things get accounted for. It's, it's so helpful. It's very empowering. Exactly. And I'm going to pick up on what you said, too, where you're like, you get to know the lingo. So one of my most favorite quotes is by Warren Buffett, where he says, accounting is the language of business. Mm -hmm. So to know the lingo 
is to be able to hold a business conversation with, you know, your colleagues or whoever, and everybody's on the same page, right? And QuickBooks makes it so easy to learn how to do your own bookkeeping. I mean, they practically do it for you. There's a few things, like you said. Yeah. So it's super easy. So then if you've got that data going into your business and you're not looking at your financial reports and you're not understanding what the feedback is, because that's what it is. The numbers that come out of those financial reports is feedback. And that's important information, regardless of how big or small your operation is. If you don't know what's going on in your business, you can't fix what's broken because you don't know what's broken. Or you like if you have several offers that you're offering and you have no idea what's profitable or what could be losing money, you know, you got to plug those money leaks. And, you know, smart business people would probably want to focus on selling the most profitable item that they have. But if they're pushing the the wrong product and they're selling something that they're making at a loss, then that's a really bad business decision. Yes. Well, you. I want to talk about your podcast um, because this is uh, your latest and greatest creative output. You're also a columnist at Forbes, and but your podcast is called Think Like a CFO, and you've got some ma- amazing guests on there. Like you're going to be, um, I think, interviewing a very famous fashion designer. You had already John Lee Dumas and me, and um, tell us more about the show and and what you're so excited about. I love doing the podcast because it. It allows me to meet different entrepreneurs and we talk about different stories because what I like to bring in is I really try to take the boredom out of the finance and the accounting and talk about like just anything that an entrepreneur is dealing with and kind of showing how it's reflected in your money situation. Because everything in business, whether it's direct or indirect, it all leads back to uh, whether you're making money or not. If you're your decisions are profitable or not, right? So um, I really like to get different entrepreneurial stories in there. And then on my solo episodes, I'm always giving, you know, different types of tips for, you know, managing your own books, preparing for taxes, understanding financial statements. I know a lot of this stuff, people find it's, you know, so boring. But once you get over that initial like, you know, okay, I really don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, it seems too hard. I don't want to deal with it kind of thing. And you actually see money for the way it is because money, everybody loves money. But if you if you're not looking at your financials, like that is actually your money, then you're not going to be interested. But once you see that that's your money, that's the money you're making, and you have the ability to make way more money if you're involved in that, it can become a lot more exciting. Tell us where you are in Canada. I'm in Ottawa, the capital of Canada. So I think it's really impressive that you have this like global business and you're located in Ottawa. A lot of people, you know, aren't sure how to, especially people who work in the business space to have an audience in the States and in Canada, you have to know the nuances. And so what are the differences the, the different ways that you're helping maybe your Canadian clients versus your clients in the States. Are there differences? Okay. So with accounting rules, there mm-hmm. we're governed by generally accepted accounting principles. We also call it GAP for short. Yeah. And the beauty of being in Canada and the US is that there are very, very few differences between the accounting rules. So I know what the differences are and I know what to look out for. 
And I mean, the, the differences are so small, it's not even worth mentioning. So we're governed by the same type of rules. So anything that I'm teaching to a Canadian client and an American client can can get this, like, it, there's no difference in the information. Where the differences kind of show up is within tax. And I have never been the kind of accountant who loves doing taxes. I have worked in corporate tax and personal tax, and I know a lot of the tax rules. But I would never consider myself a tax expert. I mean, that stuff is complex. Mm. So I don't give tax advice. I give tax preparation advice. I get everybody ready for the, you know, when it's time to do your taxes. You've got a beautiful set of books where you hand off to your tax accountant. I don't think anybody should be using anybody other than somebody who specializes in tax to do their tax returns. So the U.S. and Canada, we have differences, but it's more similar than differences when it comes to taxes as well, though. Mm. The last year was really hard on business owners. And I'm sure in, even in Canada, obviously, you know, COVID was a global <clears throat> health crisis that impacted economies as a result. And many businesses, I think they, I read a statistic that like one in three small businesses, I'm sorry, three out of 10 small businesses shuttered in 2020. And some of them won't return any advice for entrepreneurs in this current climate, you know, where maybe they're pivoting or they're trying to find new revenue streams or they're abandoning an old idea and trying to start anew? Um, what are the conversations you're having with some people or things that you're hearing about how um, some business owners are trying to thrive in this in this climate? Absolutely. I mean, it's definitely been a really tough climate uh, globally. Um, but for those entrepreneurs, I mean, this pandemic has certainly taught people to be prepared in the future. Like it's, it's been a huge financial hit, not only a health crisis, but a financial crisis as well. And um, if anything, going forward, we need to be cognizant of the fact that we need to manage our money really well in our businesses. So that includes, um, well, first of all, it, it means getting a handle on your, your business finances. You know, I know a lot of people avoid it because of overwhelm or they feel like they cannot do it. And these are just excuses we tell ourselves. So once you get a grip on your finances, you get in there and you start planning it makes a huge difference. It can bring your stress levels down when you have a plan, an actionable, actionable plan for your business. And it also teaches you really good habits. So you're managing your cash really well. You can foresee big cash expenses coming in the door so you can plan properly for it. And I always suggest to have a, a reserve of cash uh, to get you through the harder times. So, you know, people are often tempted when the money's coming, flowing in, you know, people want to spend it, right? right? But it doesn't make sense, especially, you know, after what we've experienced in the last year or so, it's been a huge lesson to maybe put that cash aside and save it because we really don't know what the future has in store for us. So now, Melissa, how would you describe your relationship with money today? That's a really good question, Farnoosh, and I'm not going to lie. I still have, you know, the the old habits creeping in sometimes where I feel maybe a little bored or I feel, you know, a little frustrated or whatever's going on. And I'll be like, oh, you know what, I think I'm going to go online and, see, you know, just window shop. So, but now mm -hmm. I can identify those triggers because it's never really about, you know, on what's going on in the surface. It's always much deeper emotionally, right? So maybe like, I don't know my 
you know, teenager rubbed me the wrong way that day, or my husband may have said something that I didn't like or whatever. Those would have been the triggers, but it makes me want to go shop and make me feel better. So I can identify that now and I will allow myself to window shop, but I can stop there. I don't buy anything I don't need. So as long as I'm checking in with myself regularly and making sure that I don't repeat the same mistake, I feel pretty confident that I won't. Yeah. Self-awareness goes a long way, right? Absolutely. Check in with yourself. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for spending part of your day with us. And oh, I really appreciate you having me on this show. Yeah, Your transparency and going... And, you know, to these to the depths of the of these uh, places that you've been, um, we really appreciate it. We I know. Our, can, we, go ahead. Sorry, can I just add one more thing? Because the reason why I share this story is because I want people to understand that your mistakes don't define you, and I think that's a really important message to get out there as well. Because you know, like I'm a CPA and I made a huge mistake, but I didn't let it define me. I've moved past it. I dealt with it and I moved past it. So there's like. Anybody can do that. If I can do it, anybody can. Because, you know, we've all made mistakes. And I'm just thinking right now, there are some things I wish I hadn't done, uh, investments I made (laughs) or business deals I made. But you learn, you live, you You learn. learn. You go on a podcast and you talk about it and you change other people's lives. Uh, Melissa, thanks again. Have a great one. Thank you. Thanks so much to Melissa for joining us. We've got her five-step roadmap to business finance freedom, the link on our website, and check out her podcast, Think Like a CFO. On Wednesday, an incredible conversation with my friend Melody Wilding, who is the author of the new book, Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking and Channel Your Emotions for Success at Work. In her book, she celebrates who she calls sensitive strivers. Is this you, someone who's highly sensitive, but also high performing? You're someone who needs to take time to think through decisions before you act. You judge yourself harshly when you make mistakes. You're finding it difficult to set boundaries. Don't miss out. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money. Money.